Welcome to Return to Reason. My name is David Craig. The opioid crisis is destroying far more lives than most of us realize. Downtown Vancouver has been especially hit hard by this tragedy and is spilling over into cascading issues like a sharp increase in random violence, theft, and unmanageable situations for law enforcement. Someone who has studied this and the public policies that framed the opioid crisis is joining me today. You need to hear this eye-opening conversation with independent journalist Aaron Gunn. What is happening to Vancouver? One of the wealthiest and most naturally beautiful cities in all of North America has been beset by skyrocketing crime, violent attacks, and a crippling battle with addiction that's literally left thousands of people dead. But what is at the root of all these problems? Do police have the tools they need to do their jobs? Are violent offenders being released with little to no regard for public safety? And has an ideal obsession with so-called safe supply and free drugs overshadowed the desperate need for treatment, recovery, and rehabilitation. Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today on Return to Reason. Thank you so much for having me. We got a lot of stuff that's going on in your world. I know you're uh, one of your big projects. You're just constantly going is is your politics explained, which you can see right behind you as well. And and also you had a you had a documentary that actually made its rounds to say the least. <laughs> in Vancouver is dying. So just to get started, I, I want to ask you what motivated you to to actually make that documentary. Well, I've been living here in coastal BC my entire life, and what really frustrated me. Uh, this issue, probably more than any other, is over the past 20 years, we've had governments that have continually uh, thrown more taxpayer money at the problem, uh, doubled down on the exact same policies, um, patted themselves on the back more times than I can count. And yet for anyone that had you know two eyes on their head, you could see that the problem was getting worse. Homelessness just exploding, people, uh, open drug use, rampant, and and uh, this 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 sense that that really part of society was being left behind and, and falling apart. And what we were doing was clearly not working. Yeah. And um, also leading on to all these other consequences, whether it's 2000 deaths every single year, uh, uh, British Columbians from overdose or the skyrocketing crime, including four uh, random stranger attacks, violent stranger attacks every day in Vancouver. And um, just felt like there was a side of the story that wasn't being told in the in the mainstream media. So that was really the the motivation to go out and do something about it. Well, you've got Vancouver, which is arguably one of the most, if not the most beautiful cities in the world. You can see the landscape and the shots of downtown Vancouver and how beautiful it is being a coastal city as well. So people have this view of Vancouver being an absolutely beautiful amazing place to live. It's got beauty, it's got scenery, it's got all the vibe that you want. But yet there's this underbelly that seems to be growing that, as you just mentioned, was not uh, being paid much attention to. For our viewers, can you explain, uh, you touched on it just a second ago a little bit, but maybe a bit more in depth, what's actually happening in Vancouver that you're seeing that, that the dark side of Vancouver, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of kind of consequences and, and negative outcomes that people see with, with their own two eyes when they're visiting Vancouver, especially parts of Vancouver. But at the, its core is an out-of-control drug and drug addiction problem, uh, specifically with, with drugs like fentanyl and, and crystal meth. 
and uh, it's leading to you see people um, you, you can't even tell if they're, they're they're dead or alive sometimes kind of bodies all contorted on the side of the street I call it kind of the you know it's like a zombie apocalypse it's like yeah. being in that TV show The Walking Dead when you go to parts of the downtown east side and uh, the people with these addictions uh, are leading to huge burdens on our healthcare system, on our emergency services, on policing. And um, of course, the other thing we found out when making the documentary by talking to people who were recently recovered or recovering addicts who were living on the downtown east side just, just a year or 18 months previously, is once they had these addictions that were costing them $200, $300 a day, uh, obviously you can't hold down a job with with that kind of uh, uh, addiction yep. and you basically had to resort to crime and it was pretty straightforward. And they, and they told me bluntly um, how this all worked. And uh, it's kind of this, this, uh, this problem that just keeps growing and growing and growing. And the government solution to it, as we saw two days ago, is to basically make these drugs uh, more easily accessible and less stigmatized, which I think is just going to lead to even greater uptake and greater and increased negative outcomes like the one I just the ones that I just uh, laid out there so this uh, government response uh, quote-unquote safe supply uh, is different than these previously which has been done I know in Alberta and other cities that's been tested on with with safe consumption sites so now it's actual just making drugs completely available for people can you talk us through what is safe supply and why the government's deciding to go this direction well, I think the first thing to understand to make sure that your your viewers don't get any uh, uh, wrong ideas is, is safe supply is at its core a a, a paradox an, oc an oxymoron. Yeah. I mean, uh, when yeah. you, we're talking about some of these drugs like crystal meth and fentanyl, and these are the drugs that they're talking about, the idea that there is such thing as a safe supply of fentanyl is yeah. uh, is insane. We just legal uh, decriminalized here two point five grams. You're allowed to carry a, a fentanyl wow. uh, on your person two point five grams at two milligrams can kill the average adult. Uh, so it is, um, and there's a there's a thousand milligrams in a, in a gram. So it uh, these drugs are incredibly dangerous. They're incredibly devastating. What the government's idea is, is they would like to see essentially the quote unquote black market completely disappear. And, you know, some kind of government run, uh, you know, soup kitchen that instead of handing out uh, food and to, to those that are hungry. It's basically handing out drugs to those who are looking for a fix. Do they have, sorry to interrupt, do they have a reason why they think this is going to happen? Or is this just a whimsical idea? Hey, if we oversupply the market, the black market's magically going to dry up. Where, where is this coming from? So I think different people have different motivations. Uh, to your point that you just mentioned, one of their motivations is to try to eliminate the black market, which they believe will remove some of the the negative outcomes uh, that the black, you know, there's a lot of the crime and of course, uh, nasty things that you can imagine are associated yeah. with the, the black market. Uh, they talk a little bit about, this is a bit of a misnomer. They talk about the drug poisoning crisis, which I think has been misconstrued to make people believe that fentanyl is sneaking into other drugs and killing people, which does happen, but it's not very common. The main thing that's killing people are addicts who are addicted to fentanyl who are seeking out fentanyl and overdosing the pe the proponents of safe supply would argue that the potency and composition of the fentanyl that would be manufactured and paid for by taxpayers would be more consistent and then less likely to overdose and and lead to more 
overdose uh, deaths. So that is the arguments that they're making. Now, there's other people that are arguing for it, to be frank, because, you know, they have financial stakes in the companies that would be manufacturing the medical, the medical grade heroin or fentanyl or whatever. So that's a, that's another piece to this puzzle. But um, I do think that while we kind of can look at those, um, almost like an iceberg, like above, uh, above the surface reasons that they might argue for it, I believe underneath that is a much more ideological belief that uh, many of these individuals, many of these uh, addicts who are addicted to these drugs don't have uh, individual agency. They don't have uh, free will. They don't have, they don't believe in the concept of individual responsibility or individuals becoming, being able to overcome this um, yeah. addiction, yeah. the struggle with addiction. Um, and really viewing this as an almost palliative issue, which I think is kind of depressing. Okay? Viewing it as, uh, you know, these people are addicted to drugs. They're always going to be addicted to drugs. Uh, we might as well try to basically manufacture it uh, by the government and reduce some of those negative outcomes and maybe keep them alive a little bit longer, which I think is a really depressing way to look at the situation mm -hmm. and actually not based on evidence either where there's, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people around the world who have recovered from opioid addiction. And this yeah, isn't yeah. exactly a, a new problem. It's just it just reached new and unprecedented heights. So instead of empowering an individual to come back and first off, beat an addiction, secondly, be reacquainted with society, it's essentially let them continue uh, in the ditch that they're in and hope for the best is essentially what you're saying. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, and you know, the other part of this is they've been using taxpayer money in Vancouver to buy up hotels uh, during COVID when all the hotels were empty. And then they basically warehouse um, these addicts in the hotels, uh, which is a mm -hmm. terrible thing, by the way, if you're an addict and you're trying to get uh, off of drugs, the last thing you want to do is be surrounded by other people who are actively doing these drugs. Yeah. But um, I think warehousing, which is a term that other people have used, is a great way of looking at it. They want to they want to take all the addicts. They want to basically confine them uh, to an area. stuff, shove them full of, of these drugs from the government and and warehouse them off in, in some hotel purchase somewhere in perpetuity. And uh, I don't think that is um, the right approach at all. And especially when it's been proven time and time again that these people have the capacity and like I said, thousands have to get clean, uh, return to society in an actually pretty shockingly uh, quick turnaround. I mean, I mean, I met people that couldn't even string a sentence together. And then 18 months later, after going through some of these abstinence based uh, recovery programs, um, you, you know, are back. They're working again. They're, they're reconnected with their families. And um, so it. it not only can it be done, it's done every single day in this country. And uh, so I think, and, and the other thing that I like pointing out is this kind of two-tier healthcare system, because if you are a uh, wealthy businessman or politician, and uh, God forbid your child becomes addicted to drugs, you're not sending them to one of these hotels to be warehoused with other addicts and just shoved yeah. full of, of free drugs in perpetuity. You're going to be sending them to a nice facility, an abstinence-based uh, facility to get them clean and return them back to society. So uh, for some reason, we don't think that's good enough for everybody else, I think is kind of depressing. And I'm not sure what it says about uh, where we are as a society right now. To be clear, is this the provincial BC government that is initiating this or is it a combination of city and provincial? And how much does the federal involve with this? Well, and federal, so to, to uh, hand out these drugs and to decriminalize the drugs, you needed a waiver from the federal government. So um, 
the, the Trudeau government has granted that waiver to BC yeah. uh, for now for three years. Um, the uh, the opposition, uh, the Conservatives have opposed that, and uh, the NDP are um, are the government here in 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 British Columbia that are that are pushing it. The city uh, has a, has you know plays a part in that, but really it's the the province probably is is the biggest player when it comes to this particular issue. So. Is the provincial government looking at increasing capacity in other means aside from these uh, this harm reduction strategy of making it basically essentially handing out drugs for free? Are they looking at other solutions on top of that, or is this the main focus for attacking the problem? I mean, they claim they are. They claim that they're expanding treatment. Uh, I know I read just the other day that in Victoria right now, the average, if you try to seek treatment, you have to wait a month, which obviously isn't great for somebody who's yeah. who's make that decision to try to get off an addiction. And to me, that's, that's another example of these misplaced priorities where, you know, we're focusing all this energy on, on decriminalizing drugs, manufacturing drugs, handing them out to everybody. When uh, we still have people that actually want to get clean, who can't get in to, uh, to a facility. And I mean, we have uh, obviously healthcare is a very important issue in this country. And um, I don't see how this isn't a, isn't a healthcare issue. I mean, if you can't look after yourself, if you're basically enslaved by an addiction to one of these drugs and you know, you have that moment of, of soul searching or, or resolution to get off of them. I mean, we should be, we should be trying to help these people. And by the way, not just because it's in their best interest, and it's the right thing to do because it's also the best thing for for taxpayers and society. I mean, yeah. the uh, the amount of money that this issue is is costing us every year. Uh, whereas if you can flip that around and return them to actually being a productive, taxpaying member of society again, is is um, is a big win for everybody involved. Is is there a homelessness crisis in the sense that we just don't have enough homes, or is this really right. uh, all about addiction and drugs, and yeah. that's at the root of this problem? Yeah, ninety percent of it is about drugs and addiction. Uh, people are not living in tents on the downtown east side because they can't afford rent. They're, they're doing that because they're severely addicted to you know, heroin, cocaine and fentanyl. People are not living under overpasses uh, you know, because they don't have the opportunity to get an apartment. They're there because they're suffering from significant mental health and addiction issues. Uh, and so <clears throat> while it's a du there's a duality of issues, yes, they're homeless, but there's a reason why. And so we need to make sure that we're attempting to solve the right problem. So if I remember correctly, actually it is the, there's countries like the Netherlands who have gone ahead with this type of process before, where they decriminalize all drugs and they claim that they've seen success. I'm curious, first of all, how they define success, but according to a countries like that, can their process work in Canada? Do you see it working? So the good example that people use uh, uh, on, on the side pushing decriminalization in Canada, they're using it disingenuously as Portugal because it's been so successful. And the rates of overdose and drug use and drug abuse in Portugal are a fraction of what they are here in Canada. But they used okay. to have a problem. So they did decriminalize, but you, the devil is in the details because they didn't yeah. de it wasn't decriminalized and then kind of laissez faire. Uh, here's a bunch of free drugs for everybody. They didn't create a, a safe supply. Um, what they did by decriminalizing it is, is put kind of the drug enforcement uh, policies outside of their criminal justice system into a parallel system, almost like traffic court. 
Yeah. Uh, if that if that makes sense. Sure. And uh, so, for example, in Portugal, even though drugs are technically discriminalized, there is a zero tolerance policy for any open drug use. Drugs will be confiscated immediately. People will be handed uh, fine citations immediately. And you would then have to um, appear before a commission. It's called the Commission of the uh, Dissuasion of Drug Use, where you're basically I don't know if interrogated is the right word, but, you know, basically found out if you have a problem. And if you do have a problem, you, you're basically told to go seek treatment um, and given slips and a spot and told where to go if, if you do, in fact, have an addiction. So it is it is not at all how it is being portrayed. And in many ways, enforcement has been stepped up in countries like Portugal. They're just mm -hmm. not going through the traditional criminal justice system. And I think that's that's a totally valid approach. What's happening right now in British Columbia is just anything goes. There's no consequences. And in fact, that is the stated goal of the legislation. They say the stated goal of decriminalization is to destigmatize hard drug use like heroin huh. and fentanyl and, and crack, which is the exact opposite of what's going on in Portugal. You can't you can't even I mean, you light up a joint in Portugal, you'll have a police officer coming up to you and and, and confiscating it. So uh, the idea that you're going to be shooting up, uh, you know, the the policies of British Columbia where you can, you know, shoot up uh, or, or do whatever out on the streets in the open and in parks uh, that you're going to be able to do the same uh, in some of these other countries. Uh, it's not the same thing at all. Well, even to have the motto or have the idea of destigmatizing this hard drugs almost seems like your concern is more of the perception of it than the actual problem that's affecting the people of, of them participating in those acts, which is interesting. There's already, it seems like, I know, I believe it was January 31st, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that is when all of these uh, drugs were decriminalized, is there's already dispensaries that are planning to be able to carry these hard drugs from crack to meth to fentanyl in stores in Vancouver um, for safe act for safe access for addicts in the next couple of weeks from what we hear in our research has said do you think that this is going to be treated the same way that marijuana was before it was decriminalized so that will be um, yes yeah, so it's decriminalized not legalized so you're not technically allowed to, to sell it obviously yes. but uh, how it will be enforced because people will basically start pushing the boundaries to see what they can get get away with. Uh, I mean, some of these drugs obviously fall in, into different categories. Uh, you've got the the cocaine and the MDMA versus um, you know fentanyl and, and heroin. So it uh, we'll see how it goes. But I, what what I do think is, and again, this is why they're saying they're doing it is you will be see it. You'll see drugs, these hard drugs, being used more openly, more brazenly, more mm -hmm. frequently. And um, I think that is a bad message to be sending as a society that we are okay with our fellow citizens pumping themselves full of these debilitating drugs in perpetuity um, with with no regard for the, the consequences it places on their their themselves, their families, uh, the community more generally. And ultimately, taxpayers who are left uh, to pay for and pick up the bill for all the all the problems that that it creates. Tell me a little bit about the response you had to the documentary of Vancouver's Dime, because I know it definitely made its rounds, and it even some say have had an effect on the mayoral uh, mayoral election in Vancouver. So, first off, what kind of response did you get from it? 
Well, I produced a lot of uh, uh, videos and and these documentaries before, and uh, none have have come close to to what happened with Vancouver's dying. I mean, the video has been viewed uh, across social platforms uh, about two point eight million times now. Um, it, uh, I mean, it was inundated with with people messaging me, especially people that were retired or or serving police officers or or paramedics. Or uh, recovering addicts uh, themselves yeah. uh, to, to thank me for producing it. Uh, I get a, a positive feedback rating on on YouTube was ninety four percent. So I, I think it really touched a nerve. And I, and I find with the videos that I do that really make a difference or take off, it's because they're speaking to an issue that that other people aren't speaking to that yeah. our politicians and mainstream media have been ignoring or trying to sweep under the rug. So I think what Vancouver's dying did isn't so much uh, awake people to a problem. I think it articulated a problem that that most people living here already knew existed. And the other thing that I would say is that um, Vancouver is the epicenter. Vancouver is is ground zero. It's worse than it's ever been, but it did used to be bad. And a lot of people have reached out that you have the same problems happening, but at a smaller scale in their own cities. Uh, especially in British Columbia, places like Victoria, where I am right now, or Nanaimo, or uh, Prince George, and then outside of British Columbia as well, in places uh, like Winnipeg and Toronto yeah. and uh, Regina. So it's uh, it's it's a problem that's not limited to Vancouver. It's just the fact that it's it's worse there uh, yeah. doesn't mean that it's not happening uh, in many other places as well. So what can we do as Canadians? What can I do? What can people watching our chat do to actually help move the needle politically to have effective solutions? I mean, I think that, you know, a democracy is only as as strong and well-informed as its uh, as its citizens. So I always encourage people to get involved in politics, get involved in, in issue campaigns. Uh, I mean, not everyone has to go out and make a documentary or, or run for political office. There's lots of different ways uh, that you can become engaged in the process. Yeah. But um, I mean, I always say at the at, at the very minimum, you know, if you're concerned about these kinds of issues, you know, reach out to your to your MP, reach out to your MLA and express yourself. And um, if enough people do that, they do take notice. Yeah. Uh, bring it up, talk about it with with friends and family, these kinds of things. There are local groups. It is it is a provincially driven issue. So each province is tackling this in its own way. Alberta's taking a very different approach than British Columbia, for example. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of different provinces, obviously, in the country. So yeah. it, um, I would say, just you know, become engaged and 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 reach out to reach out to politicians and and stay informed and and engage politically uh, uh, when you can. Aaron, it seems like you've got a lot of projects that are on the go. Seems some are very interesting. And can you tell me a little bit about Politics Explained? What is that? Yeah, so Politics Explained is the online series that uh, that I produce that covers different topics and uh, on, on different issues that are that are in the Canadian political environment. It tries to break them down for Canadians, yeah. especially telling sides of stories that are that that are ignored by the media. Now, Vancouver is dying. For example, was actually the first episode of season three of Politics Explained. So you can actually go to my YouTube page or my website and you can see we produced 17 previous uh, or sorry, 19 previous episodes um, at two Vancouver's dying on everything from inflation to housing prices to uh, the history of uh, 
John A. McDonald, to Canada's justice system. Yeah. And we actually also have a season four that's being planned right now for the spring. Awesome. So a production to start in the spring. So that's uh, there, but each episode uh, tends to range around uh, 25 minutes in length. So um, it's, it's my belief that you know, there's lots of political content out there, a lot of documentaries out there, but there's a lot of issues uh, specific to, to Canada that are, that are being ignored. So that's mm -hmm. the niche that we try to fill uh, because we think it's more important, uh, or I think that it's important that, that we're having these conversations and having these dialogues and having these debates because uh, if we don't, I think that's, uh, that's bad for the state of democracy in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Is that's what our countries are founded upon? Is this conversation to be had? Even if you have disagreements, it's let's have the conversation. You can hash it out. That's what democracy and freedom of speech is built upon. So it's awesome you're bringing a light to a lot of these topics. So that's obviously a big project you're working on. Do you got any other projects that are on the go outside of politics? Explain what's up. What's next for Aaron Gunn? Well, politics explain is the big one. Now we're working right now on six new episodes that will be filmed throughout the spring and then released throughout late spring and summer, yeah. including a sequel actually to Vancouver is dying. Okay. And uh, so that's, that's really the big project that I'm working on. And then uh, while I'm working on that uh, every week, I try to release videos on, on shorter videos, like uh, two to three minutes on, you know, things that are in the news to try to break it down. I just uh, produced a video not too long ago, uh, kind of the top five reasons why, uh, BC decriminalizing these drugs is not a good idea and, yeah. and, and went through that. So you can also follow me on social media to watch uh, kind of my takes on, on current events and, and things like that while I'm working and spending a lot of my time on the, on the bigger uh, politics explained documentaries. Well, that leads me to my next thought is I want our audience to know how they can connect with you, how they can follow you and know what's going on with you. So let them know different ways they can connect or keep up with your work. Yeah, so very active. Uh, I live on social media. So, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or YouTube, you can type in uh, Aaron Gunn, and you should be able to to find me as long as the algorithms are, are being kind. <laughs> They're and, good that uh, <laughs> Yeah, when, when in doubt, you can type uh, type my name into Google or just go to AaronGunn.ca, and it should have, cool. uh, should have all my content there and, and links to various social channels and things like that. That's awesome, man. Well, I encourage you, whoever's watching this program, check out Politics Explained. If you haven't seen Vancouver is Dying, it is absolutely worth watching. It's very eye-opening to see this uh, this dark side that seems to be not talked about enough. So great work on that. I watched it a while ago when it first came out, and awesome to see. But I encourage you to go check out Aaron Gunn to follow his what he's working on his projects he's doing a good thing in our country just like what we try to do on return to reason is bring light to different subjects that uh, are not being talked about or bring reason back to how we approach our life and our nation encourage you aaron is uh, seems to be a champion of that as well which is great aaron i appreciate your time man uh, hopefully we can do this again soon thank you for joining us for sure really appreciate it uh, thank you so much for having me and let's do it again soon absolutely you are an essential part of this series. Support truth, knowledge, and wisdom by sharing this show with a friend. Visit returntoreason.tv. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter by clicking Become an Insider. Get the latest articles, episodes, and exclusive content. It's Return to Reason.